What's going on, guys? Today, I'm going to bring in Laura Stewart. She is a VP of sales at REC Canada and founder of From the Ground Up Media. I've been excited for this podcast all week. We uh, met each other, um, I would say, a couple years back when I had Jazz on my uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, we all, you know, for the record, we all work at the uh, Royal Page Signature Umbrella. And I'm going to bring her onto the show. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, it's crazy to think it was like two years ago when we first met, and I think you were filming one of your first shows, episodes. So this is awesome to see that you've stuck with it and you've been consistent. Yeah. Well, actually, I took a bit of a pause, which is why I'm only on episode 58. Shame on me. But That's uh, still a lot of episodes, though. Absolutely. Most people don't get past 10. <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. Like, and, and since last November, I've been straight. Like, no, no breaks, no pauses. And well, kudos to you because I've been on the other side of things and I know just how much work and commitment it takes to, to be consistent. So great job. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to get it started. Like we're going to start off on um, the real estate aspect, right? So like maybe a little bit of a bio, how this all came about. How did you get into the real estate? And then we'll progress on, on until today. <laughs> yeah, my story, I feel like, you know, most real estate agents kind of fall into real estate. Few of us, I feel, are actually born and raised salespeople and we're saying, I'm going to be a real estate agent when I grow up. I, I don't hear a lot of those stories, although there are some, and I'm for sure no exception to that rule. Um, I went to, I did my undergraduate degree in nutrition. I was super into health and fitness, and I thought that might be an avenue I wanted to go down. But it's really funny because about two, two years into the four-year degree, I was like, you know what? I don't really like this and I don't have a lot in common with the people who are in my space. And, we, you know, I, it just wasn't vibing. I finished the degree just because I had already gone through so much. But I knew very soon after um, the end of that degree that I the, this wasn't for me. So I kind of said, OK, let, like fresh start. What can I do? What do I like? What do I do on my spare time? What are some of my hobbies? At that time in my life, I was a 22 year old and I super into fashion, perhaps like a lot of 22 year old girls. Um, and I decided I was going to go down the, the fashion route and try and get into the buying sector. So I worked for Holt Renfrew, which is one of Canada's largest luxury department stores for a while in their corporate office, helping the buying team for the cosmetics department. That was cool, certainly at the start, because I felt very privileged to be amongst such a, a small group of people because it's it's a it's a relatively small company that operates all those department stores and there was like a lineup of people who would have interned they would have killed for that job um, and and I was one of those people but I also realized after about a year in that uh, in that industry that you know what I'd rather be a person who actually can afford to shop at the luxury department store than shopping for the department store so I said. I need something else and I'm not sure what it is. And I decided this is my opportunity. I'm going to go back to school. I kind of felt like if I didn't really know what I wanted to, my heart wasn't set on something, then the school, the added school definitely couldn't hurt. So I'm back to school to do my MBA. I met some incredible people there and I really started kind of finding my niche, which was marketing. I, I love the idea of branding, which I know we're going to talk about this other company later, but that kind of got me thinking about the idea of personal branding. And I said, well, what kind of company could I, 
or what what could I do where I would you know really focus on my own personal brand and then I thought real estate that and luxury sales and that kind of all kind of was working well for me so about six years ago I started in real estate and I wanted to focus on the luxury market um, I live in an area that's relatively close to Canada's some of Canada's most expensive houses, which is in the bridal path. Um, I'm like a neighborhood away, definitely on the wrong side of the tracks for sure. But I thought that, you know, that would be such a, a unique, um, a unique type of product to sell. So I, I started there. But in doing so, I actually started meeting some incredible people like Jazz Tapper, who you had mentioned earlier, who is the owner of the company I now work for, REC Canada. And uh, I, I, I kind of, he opened my eyes to working with investors. Now, investor clients are so unique because they're multi-transactional. It's not like you only get to work with the person once every 20 years when they decide to, you know, upsize or, or downsize their home. You can do three, four purchases with the same purchase uh, purchaser within like a year at some times. And that really opened my eyes and I kind of found my, my niche within the team. So I, I don't necessarily focus on the actual selling, but what I found was all my background, you know, the nutrition, the 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 science part of me the the research part of me then the marketing branding communications part of me kind of all fit together to make me a great vp of rec canada so i really help with the customer experience i hold a lot of our clients hands along the process although i'm not necessarily making that initial sales call but i deal with everything else within the company so we have 50 agents on our team who I, you know, I help the process of them buying and selling as well. And then I work with all the marketing and branding for our own company. So it, it's been incredible and I, and, and sorry for giving such a long story, but I oh, think it's okay. important to, to note that, you know, it, sometimes people say, well, you don't want to switch careers too often. That's going to make your resume look weird. No, you're not hireable, but quite honestly, all my different experiences, I think have really helped propel me to the position I'm at today. And I think I thrive in this position because of all those experience. And I also think it's important to note that just because you go down one route and you're like, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to own my own company. Sometimes you'd be surprised being number two, number three, number four in any company is can be great. Sometimes, you know, if you're not necessarily that salesperson or that true entrepreneur at your core, you can do very, very well still by just understanding that you need to take a bit of the back seat, but finding and kind of fine tuning one of those positions that really speak to your strengths. I completely agree with you on that. I mean, like everybody's different. Everybody has different strengths and you know what? We're either growing or dying. And reality is if you're in your strength, you're in a position to grow, whether it's, you know, unilaterally up, down, whatever direction you go, you have room to expand. And, and nobody says you have to go up in positions to grow. Sometimes you can have other opportunities that fuel that growth as well. So you hit, you know the hammer on yeah, the nail. Yeah, John, that's a great point. I I actually kind of downgraded my position in order to then propel myself. Working with Jazz and the team, they didn't necessarily have a position for me. It's a, it was a small company, it still is. It's not like they said we need a VP. Would you like to be our VP? This was not posted anywhere. Uh, what happened was, was I kind of just put my hand up to say, look, I really want to learn from you guys. I'm really interested in what you're doing. It, that those guys being Jazz and his business partner Simeon, and I I said, let can I just sit outside your office and kind of get you coffees or pick up your your printouts from the the printer if you need just to kind of get my foot in the door so here i am you know a 32 year old and i'm kind of interning in a way i was helping create spreadsheets and, and contacting clients and doing whatever i could at 
no promise of a dollar. I just said, I want to learn from you guys. So I really kind of said, I'm okay with being an intern at 32 years old because I, I just had this gut feeling that it was going to help propel my career forward. And I'm very thankful for that because a lot of people, I think, you know, they'll say that's beneath me now. I can't go back. You know, they're always looking to go up, but sometimes you got to take that step back to go forward. 100%. Right? I mean, and that's the thing because we're in an era where everyone thinks short term. Right. And reality is we're playing the long game. We're not back in the olden days where people passed away by age 40 on as a general rule, where like you're sitting there going, I'm 32. I've got eight years left. Oh, no. Right. We're like with modern health and science, we're living to like 90. Like really, a lot of times your career is not starting till your mid 30s. Yeah. So you're right. And I've started a new company here at 36 years old. But that's that's interesting because when I was you know 26, you, you always look at these things in hindsight, right? Like I didn't have that um, that ideology that you just mentioned back when I was 26 and I was going back to to school. I was like, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm 26 years old. It's a three year program. I'm gonna be 29 when I'm done. I'm practically dead by the time I'm done. And here are all my friends, you know, they're already moving up the ladder in their careers and they're getting promoted. And I was a nanny full-time during the day while I was doing my MBA. And I remember thinking like, I, you know, this is not good. Like, I'm sure my friends were like, what are you doing? Like you have a new science degree in nutrition, but I wanted to be fulfilled. And I think just having that hope that there is better and that hope that like I can find something that I'm really passionate about. That's what got me through those hard times. Cause I honestly thought at that time that my life was, you know, going to be at, be over by the time I was 30. Little did I know that I was going to have two more careers and who knows what the, the future has in store for me after that. So I've only caught on to that concept in my thirties, but I wish I had known that when I was younger. So if anyone's listening and you're in your twenties and you're thinking about changing your career, I urge you to do so. Find that happiness. Um, you'll thank yourself. The, 10 years from now, you're 36, 37, 38. That person's going to thank you for making that call. 100%. And that's the thing, right? Like even uh, in real estate, let's face it. The beginning is a struggle too, right? Like everyone thinks life is just this, but it's actually that. <laughs> Sometimes it's down for a yeah. while. <laughs> exactly. Like, like yeah. how did you overcome all your stress? Like, uh, like in the beginning when you got, like, I'm sure there were times you were feeling stuck and you know, like we've all had those moments where we're going, Oh man, what am I doing? How did you overcome yeah. that? I mean, yeah, I know I, where you are, you have a large support team, but I mean, beyond that. Yeah. I, I you know, I want to stress this because I think sometimes people think other people just have it. They have the mental fortitude the mental strength. Um, for me, like I was kind of that person for a little bit. My first two years in real estate, I mean, I was excited, which most people, when they get into a new career, they're super passionate, super excited. I did my first deal I did in my first month and it was a $1.2 million house. It was a teardown, believe it or not. Um, so it was complete garbage. It was land value only, but for $1.2 million. So I was like, I have this figured out. I know exactly what I'm doing. This is going to be a breeze because, you know, uh, two, two and a half percent on $1.2 million is not a bad payday. And I thought if I can just do that a handful of times a year, I'm good. Then I got another deal done and I double ended that deal in the middle of my first year. And again, I was like, oh, this is going to be a breeze by year five. I'm going to be making so much money. It's going to be stupid. So I think I got a little cocky. I got that beginner's luck. And then after that, it kind of tapered out because I wasn't putting the same work ethic in. I wasn't putting the same amount of hours in after because I got kind of lazy because it got it seemed easy to me at the time. Um, and and then I kind of hit a dry spell. 
And it, during that dry spell, I remember, you know, there were days where I didn't go into the office months. I didn't come into the office at all. I think that was my first mistake because I wasn't surrounding myself with like-minded people. I wasn't surrounding myself with people who are working hard or just to be in and around conversations. I was staying at home. I'd be in my PJs until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock. Um, and suddenly the work, it, it, for me to do the same task took me longer than it had before. You know, when they say, if you want something done, give it to someone who's, who's busy. And uh, that was definitely the case with me. I was, I was bored. I was unenthused. I was uninspired. And for me, did, did I lose you there? Uh, for whatever reason, my browser decided to kick me out. Oh, okay. I, I'm glad it continued. But yeah, got it. <laughs> I never it, had got that it. happen before. <laughs> Did you hear me or should I should I go back? No, no continue, continue. Okay, gotcha. Um, so yeah, so I was kind of in a, in a bit of a rut. So again, I don't want people to think that, you know, things are always rosy. And, and I just woke up every day like I'm going to work hard and everything's going to come to me. And I live in abundance and I'm going to find all the answers. I went through some times where I thought, shit, did I mess this up again? You know, maybe I wasn't meant for this either. Uh, and and I wasn't wasn't very passionate about it. It wasn't until I, I said one day, like, just get your ass out of bed. Go change the scenery. You got to change something. And I came to the office. And just coming to the office that one day sparked an interesting conversation with somebody, which sparked an, another interesting conversation. And then that kind of snowballed. Like, it's it's amazing. It just takes one little thing to change in your life, change the vibration, and then everything kind of unfolds. So I urge people, even if you're feeling like you're down in the dumps and you're, you know, you're, you're thinking like, oh, I may as well give up. I'm 42 years old. I'm going to be retiring five years. What's the point? Or five years, you know, 15 years. What's the point? Let me just say here. I, I really think like you're just in a bit of a rut. If you look at the day, like what can I make? What's the one small change I can make in my day? And let me see where this takes me. I think that's that's one good way to kind of get yourself out of those times, which I had many of. Right, and I think we all do. And I'm glad you illustrated that because you know what? It showcases the, the, the true you know, trajectory of uh, growth. So that was awesome. So now that being said, you don't just sell or buy real estate or any, oh, I'm sorry, you don't just help people buy and sell real estate, but you invested in your own property too, if that's uh, correct. Yes, I did. And that took me a while to learn that as well. I've, I've been working with um, with investors for four years, uh, almost five years now, and it didn't kick in until probably year two. I had probably helped at that time 150, maybe a little bit more investors in those first two years buy real estate. I didn't really understand it. I kind of thought I had to be older. Uh, I thought I had to make more money to invest in real estate because a lot of the clients I was helping were in their 50, late 40s 50s and early 60s i'd say is kind of like the the majority of people i helped so i i was kind of like oh i don't need to worry about this until later it wasn't until you know uh, some of my investor clients would say to me my only regret is not having done this sooner i heard that time and time again and i thought okay but yeah but people don't have money when they're younger like you're trying to get, establish your principal residence, let alone purchasing an investment property, especially in the GTA. I mean, people are people are feeling like they they can't afford a house ever in this market. Um, so that kind of stuck with me. And then I would say I saw a person who was, I think, 10 years younger than me and they were per and I was helping them purchase an investment property. And I thought, how the hell is this happening? Like, yeah, this person had a decent job, but like this wasn't like, you know, they they were 
given a silver spoon by any means or nor were they like a doctor or a lawyer or something that that you would think well that makes sense they they have tons of money just kind of a regular guy who was like yeah i just save a lot and i i get creative and i try and find joint venture partners when i can and i'm i'm purchasing my third investment property and that's when it really clicked for me i was like okay i gotta get on top of this so that's when I went to my team. Luckily, I surround myself with people who know a lot about investment properties. And I was saying, well, what would be the easiest way for me to get into the market? Because I feel like if I don't do something now, I'm going to get priced out of the market because prices are going up faster than I'm than my salary. Well, I don't get paid a salary, but then my then my income is is increasing. Let's put it that way. And uh, pre-construction or new build condos is, is a great place to start for people in in the same headspace. The reason being is, is new build condos, you don't close on the property today. You actually close on the property when it's built. So that can be anywhere between three, four, and five years out. So it was like, okay, great. I have four or five years until I actually have to worry about getting a mortgage for this thing. So I can get my ducks in a row over the course of that time. The second thing that I love about new build condos is that the deposit structure is extended. And what I mean by that is that the deposits are paid over the course of the next couple years. So it's not like if I were purchasing an investment property, like a resale property, I'd have to put 20% down today. With a new build condo, your 20% is broken down into usually 5% payments, although sometimes they're 2.5% payments over the course of the next two or three years, sometimes over the course of the entire build up. And so that really gives you the opportunity to save a little bit of money. But the great news is, is that I locked in a price point today. So I get to take advantage of all the appreciation that's going to happen over the course of the next year without really having to close on anything. So that's when I had my aha moment. I was like, that's what I'm doing. So my first property I bought in uh, the late later half of 2019, uh, it's a it's a two bedroom condo in downtown Toronto, and since then I've per I've just picked up another one uh, the last in the last two months. Oh wow! I did not know about that one. Yeah, I kept that one a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I was loud about the first one, and then I also learned. Uh, there's a lot of naysayers out there. There's a lot of people and you know, they mean well, you know, like you'll have friends and family who will say, are you sure you can afford that? And did you hear about condos? I was reading something in the newspaper on the news that said, you know, condo prices are taking a huge hit. I just don't think it's a safe buy. Maybe you should be thinking about uh, investing in the outskirts where you're going to get more cash flow. You're, you're going to hear a ton of, of negative comments, no matter what you buy, whether it's new build or a resale, a duplex, commercial property, whatever it is. There's going to be people in your life who come from a place of fear. Fear for you. It's usually from a good place, but they're fearing for you. They want you to be safe. They also don't want you to, I think, sometimes get too far away from them. If you're doing something that they're not able to do, it's kind of like that crabs in the bucket. Whether they know it or not, you know, who knows. But so I decided, let me just not talk about it so much because I was getting too many people and too many opinions. And I decided to start keeping things a little bit closer to my chest. Of course, today I'm letting you guys know because I'm trying to help educate and teach you all through my experience what's worked well for me. So sometimes the fewer the people you let know about your dreams and goals and ambitions, the better because you can kind of do it behind the scenes in quiet while no one's really paying attention. And then, you know, in, in a couple of years from now, people are going to say, wow, you're an overnight success. And then you're like, no, that's not actually true. I've been working on this all this time. I just didn't let you in on it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Except I'm a little different. I love the naysayers because the more they say I can't, the more I want to do. 
Ah, so you use that as fuel. I love that too. I, I do as well. I just find sometimes, particularly if it's someone whose opinion you actually really respect, maybe a parent or a sibling or a best friend, someone who, who, you, who you know really does love you, those voices can get hard to drown out. The rest of it, whether it's like on Instagram, socials, or people I see every now and then, forget those. I don't mind those so much. I agree with you. Those ones uh, can add fuel to the fire. Yeah, it's true. But going to where going to this that now you got into a second property. So, you know, what came to mind is how did you choose your area? Yeah, so the I generally speaking choose areas uh in and around transit. So I prefer the downtown I shouldn't say downtown. I prefer the Toronto proper core for my properties. It's my belief and it's also based off of um, seven years experience in real estate, as well as five years working with investors, that the properties that are closest to the core, i.e. closest to where the jobs are, tend to increase in value faster and more than properties uh, in the outskirts or away from core locations like jobs. I also find that if you're on transit, so let's say you don't want to purchase, say, in and around the financial district, because there's not actually that many condos there, but you want to purchase in or close to around that, you want to make sure that you're on transit. And what do I mean by transit? Subway would be preferable. Um, Go train is also great, particularly if it has fewer stops between where you are and the downtown core. So like Union Station here in Toronto. Um, as well as like a streetcar or an LRT. Those tend to be the preferable places and those all increase again at a faster rate than if you're not on transit or if you're just on a bus stop. Because think of the psychology of your tenant. Your tenant is probably moving to the city of Toronto because that's where they got their first job. And they're like, holy crap, prices are really expensive in Toronto. Where am I gonna live? So they're thinking, well, at the start, I probably can't buy something. So I'm gonna uh, be a renter. Well, that's great. I want to be a renter, but I can only afford so much rent. So where am I going to rent? I can't be, you know, right next to my job. I have to be pretty far away to afford it. So they want access to transit. They want to be able to get on the streetcar or the subway and get to work relatively quickly. And they also want to be able to get to that transit relatively quickly. So I would say anything less than 10 minutes to be ideal. The two locations I chose are like right on top of the subway station uh one's on um the one that i bought in ossington uh area is is also on the go and it's one stop to union station uh and then the other property is at young and st Clair, which is undergoing a tremendous revitalization there hasn't been much that's gone on there in the last 10 15 years uh so obviously you have the lrt there as well as the subway station so that's kind of how i choose my properties um particularly knowing like what's in the the surrounding area as long as I feel like things are happening, things are changing for the better, and we're not kind of in like a dead zone, then I say go for it. Absolutely. I agree with you. Those are both great areas. And you're right. I think the area for today's appreciation would have been the Ossington one, where I think the futuristic is St. Clair and uh, Young. Yeah, I would say the Ossington the one, it's Maine and Ossington. And I've... I saw Priceless not too long ago for a condo in and around the area, and I've probably made on that condo since I purchased it, I'm going to say $60,000. And you might say, well, that's not a lot of money in two years. I don't know. D depends on what you view as a lot of money. But my whole point is I didn't do anything to do that. All I did was sign some paperwork, sign some checks, 
and the checks came out of my account periodically throughout the last couple of years. And that's it. So I made $60,000 doing very, very little. Like a lot of people will stress, you know, well, you could do better if you purchased a resale. True, I probably could. But then at the same time, I'd have to worry about tenants. And right now where I'm at in my career, I really just don't have the mental bandwidth to deal with toilets and tenants. I don't know what, what else to tell you. Um, hopefully in time that will change. And certainly by the time these buildings are built, I will become a landlord and I will learn the ins and outs of that. But for right now, just to get my feet wet, it was such a passive uh, opportunity that uh, I've really, really enjoyed the process. And I've got to see what, I, what I've made on paper and it's, it's really exciting. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I mean, you got to start somewhere. That's a great way to start. And it gives you time to figure out the stuff like the landlord stuff, right? You never know what happens. You might come up with another opportunity and flip because you think something's better. right? Or well, that's just it. That's just it. There's multiple exit strategies when you're, we're talking pre-construction or new build condos. So ultimately, my advice to all of my clients and my advice to myself is going to be, if you can close on the property just under your name or you're in your spouse's name, do so. Because if you're aiming to flip the property, and for people who don't know what flip, flipping it means, it's essentially selling the paperwork before the building gets built. And sometimes people will go into an investment with that attitude. And I only caution people because let's say that you're coming up to your occupancy period. So you're about to take possession of your unit. You have about a one-year window where you're actually allowed to assign the property before that or flip the property before that. Let's say COVID, you know, we're in our 18th wave of COVID and that's a really bad one and the market crashes and, you know, the values go down and you're forced to sell during that period because you never intended on closing. You might end up selling uh, for less than you bought it for. Now, I don't see that often. I would say you might end up selling for less of profit than you thought you would make. That's usually what happens. So I always say if you can close, do so because you get to ride out the wave then. You can sell down the line when prices are, have gone back up. So try to go into purchasing real estate with the buy and hold strategy in mind. But if you can't do that, again, you have the right to assign your property. Make sure you get that written into your documents. Usually it's through an amendment. Make sure that your lawyer who reviews your paperwork for you say, is there a right to assign my property? I need the right to assign. That's very, very important because that again allows you to sell the paperwork so even if you're coming up to closing and you're not able to get a mortgage for the property or unfortunately life happens maybe you get your job moves to london uh england and you, you just don't want a property here anymore that allows you to sell the property because who knows what's going to happen in that three to five year period life changes right so you want the ability to to sell i also think an interesting strategy for a lot of people to consider is if you can't close or you're you're concerned about closing on the property, consider getting a joint venture partnership. What does that mean? That might mean a family member, uh, a colleague, a friend, or another investor who you've met through your investor community. Maybe it's through a show like this and you know, you're, you're talking on Facebook and you see that there's other people and they're looking for joint venture partners. Try to find ways to connect with other like-minded people who they might have the ability to close or by putting them on title, it gives you a stronger chance of getting a mortgage. Um, try and get creative with it. You just never really know. And I always think if you can hold on to the property, do so because what that property becomes is like an ATM machine for you. So my principal residence, for example, I bought uh, nine years ago 
for, I'll just be honest with you, for $850,000. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is the most expensive house. We're never going to pay this off. I'm freaked out. My husband and I are both commission-based salespeople. So it's not like we know what we're going to make every single year. So we really stretched ourselves and, you know, we weren't sure if it was a good idea. And all those naysayers were like, don't do that. Don't stretch yourself. It's going to be too stressful. We decided to shut them out. We did it anyways. We took a calculated risk. And in doing so, that property is now more than doubled in value. We've paid off the mortgage completely. So as of right now, let's say my house is worth $2 million. And I didn't do anything. It's not like I fixed it up. Just that's what happened in the market of Toronto. And now I could go back to the bank and probably get $1.6 million back out from that property and go my more real estate. So that's why I always say, if you can hold on to it and it's in a good area that you're seeing a lot of appreciation, do whatever you can to hold on that property. I feel so fortunate. I'm so happy that we made that decision back when, because I certainly wouldn't be affording a $2 million property today. Um, but it just what happened over time, right? 100%. That's, that's exactly it, right? So that's incredible. I mean, good for you on that one. Um, I know. I, I thank my husband for that. He, he, <laughs> he saw that because I wasn't in real estate when we bought it yet. So I didn't know the market. Uh, I didn't really understand all the, all the nuances. So this was all him. I unfortunately can't take credit for that. Although I'll take credit for the, uh, the investment properties. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, like a lot of things you're talking about is the buy and hold strategy. And I completely agree with that myself. So now there's one thing I think of, and you tell me your thoughts on this is that the way I look at real estate is uh, I don't look at the home you live in as an investment property. I live, you got to live somewhere. So you yeah. gotta live somewhere no matter what. So pick where you, so the way I look at it is live wherever the heck you want, but invest in the city because that's where the traffic is. Yeah. I see a lot of investors now, they actually have decided to rent their primary residence versus buy their primary residence because I too view it you know, it's taking money out of your pocket at the end of the month, let's be honest, it's not putting money into it. So, you know, in a way you really could see it as a liability versus an asset. I mean, of course, my property did quite well over the course of time and I happen to live close to where I work and it worked out for me. If you don't have that situation, I would say rent where you live and own an investment property in a great location. So just to your point, because that's where you're really gonna see the best returns. And we have this thing stuck in our head that we have to own our primary residence. We have to own where we live and pride of ownership and all that. And all honesty, the things have shifted so much, right? People don't necessarily want the white picket fence and the big yard and, and, and all the work that comes with that. You know, the landscaping and mowing the lawn and shoveling the driveway. Uh, most people just don't want to do that kind of stuff anymore. And so generally when you rent, some of those things are covered and they're done by other people. Um, and so it really is more about lifestyle than anything. So good point to bring up. You do not have to buy where you live. Consider renting if that's the right option. 100%. So now going here, going into, you know, you got your real estate settled, you kind of have a uh, formula and, and it's working and things are looking great. Now, all of a sudden you have a media company. How did that come about? <laughs> oh God, like I wasn't busy enough. Um, I probably, so again, I, uh, our team, we do about 650 transactions every single year on our team. I personally oversee 
about 200 of those transactions. So I am busy day to day. Like I, I'm a practitioner of real estate. I, I, I'm in it. I'm doing it every single day and I'm very, very busy. I also manage a group of people here at the office. Um, and so I don't, why I decided to add this onto my plate, I guess my only real answer is why not? Um, I think I had, I kind of wanted to scratch that itch of whether or not I thought I could um, truly be an entrepreneur in something. Real estate, yes, you are an entrepreneur, but at the same time, chances are you work for a brokerage. I work for a brokerage, I don't own the brokerage. And so it's a quasi entrepreneurship, let's put it that way. Um, and I, I really thought, well, what could I do? So I, I was looking for opportunities. I was always asking myself, well, what else is there? What type of business could I be involved in? What opportunities are there? And nothing was really coming to me. But in that same time period, I helped, again, my colleague Jazz Tackar really establish a personal brand. So he and I were, were spitballing one day about marketing for our real estate company. And I just kind of said, look, like, companies can talk on Instagram and Facebook and the social medias of the world, which is where everyone's attention is, but they, they have to speak in a corporate kind of way. It's difficult for like Procter and Gamble to have an Instagram page. That's really, really engaging. For example, with their community, I'm not saying that they can't, I'm just saying it's difficult because who's the face behind this company and everything has to kind of sound corporate and, and, and be proper and have the right grammar and you know you you want your company to come across a certain way the good thing about establishing a personal brand is all you have to do is be yourself and you're gonna connect with people on a much different level and so Jess and I were kind of talking about that and that's when we decided to really go ham on establishing him as the the personal brand of the company so he speaks to the clients he brings people in at the top of the funnel and they then get kind of introduced to REC Canada in doing that, we decided to start a podcast. Jazz at that time really um, hadn't had a lot of experience speaking to a camera uh, or speaking in front of a large group of people. And so we thought, well, what is the easiest way to get our message across while also understanding his limitations at the time? So he said, well, I love being on the phone. I've been he was one of those people who was like born to be a salesperson. So he's like, I, I love being on the phone. I've been on the phone since I was 12. I go door knocking, selling Christmas ornaments and things like that. So he's like, I'm really good at, at speaking. So why not do an audio only type of show? And so that started the podcast. At that time, podcasts weren't really doing video as well. So it was just an audio platform. So no one was watching him and he could kind of practice getting his thoughts out verbally like through audio without worrying about the camera that of course then morphed over time because what we realized is well we're doing this macro piece of content like a podcast that's an hour long but now what can we do with it you could yeah you can get creative and do like a voice overlay on a photo and put that out to to the instagrams and the facebook's of the world which does still work but people still want to connect you with your face and so we eventually decided we got to add the video component. So we started doing that. And in doing all this, this, the podcast and the show really took off. Jazz's branding really took off. And what I learned was that the sale became that much easier. So yeah, it's not like he exploded into some overnight phenomenon, you know, TikTok phenomenon. Uh, it really is more about establishing depth within the community, helping to educate our clients that we already had. It wasn't necessarily about getting new followership. It was about, going deep with the people we had. And that turned the sale in so much easier because people would call us and they'd say, oh, Jazz, I can't believe I have you on the phone. I know how busy you are. 
What do you think I should invest in? Okay, that's your invested, that's your, your strategy or that's your advice to me. Sure, I'll go ahead with that. And all of a sudden we were like, well, that, that was a lot easier. Because they had heard everything all across the board and he established that trust with them through the camera, through the social medias of the world, uh, it really, really helped with the sale. And what happened was, is over the course of that time in our office, a lot of people started coming by and saying, we love what you're doing. John, I'm sure you get this too, right? Mm -hmm. People say, I, I watch your show, I love what you're doing, right? And you're hearing from your fellow colleagues, really from your competition. And That's we started, right? Like people That's are true. watching, even if they're not, you know, liking all your stuff, people are watching. We started learning that, uh, that, you know, walking down the hall, because we would say, hi, we're Laura, hi, we're Jazz. And they would say, oh, of course we know who you are. We watch all your stuff. And we're like, oh, you've never liked anything that we've ever done. That's very interesting. Good to know. Um, and so we started telling people exactly what we did. We told people that we hired a media squad because at the start it was just myself and Jazz doing the podcast. I was behind the scenes, uploading it, doing the editing. I have zero editing experience. As you heard, never did I say I went to school for any type of media. I get me to turn on a camera. It's like hard enough. You know what I mean? So I Googled a lot. I figured it out. And then in time, we thought this is such a waste of my time. I could go actually sell a condo unit, for example, today versus spending my whole day editing. It just didn't make any sense anymore. So we started bringing on people who actually knew what they were doing. Um, yeah, we had to leave some money on the table. But by doing so, that really allowed Jazz and myself to focus on our craft while having them focus on their craft. And it really helped because the, the quality of the content and the editing was obviously much, much higher than when I was doing it. So we would tell people, this is who you need to hire. This is the strategy. Start with a macro piece of content. It doesn't need to be a podcast. It doesn't need to be a video show or a live show. It could be a blog. Maybe just start with a blog if you're comfortable with writing. So we were kind of explaining to people all their options. And then what we found is after about three months, you know, we check back in on them and say, I haven't seen anything. Like, did you do anything? Did you hire anyone? Did you get started? And the answer was always no. I'm too scared. The camera scares me or I'm too busy. All the excuses came out and we were thinking, you know what? The execution is probably the hardest part. People have desires to do a lot, um, but people are busy. And unfortunately, producing content kind of become goes on the back burner your deals become more important. You know, if you get a call from a client, that's taking precedent over you taking a selfie video and posting it to TikTok or learning how to post something to TikTok. Um, so we said, well, why don't we, you know, give people the opportunity to use our team? We have a team. We've already hired people. We know who to hire. We've already gone through the ups and downs of what's involved. And we know who not to hire and the type of people we're looking for. So we thought, well, let's kind of, you know, outsource our team to other agents who are looking to do this. And then that kind of sprung on the business idea. The, the company is called From the Ground Up Media for short because we like to be cool. We call it Fitigoo, kind of like a little acronym with a name because like what's Google anyway? So Fitigoo is the name of the company and we predominantly help real estate agents produce content. We say we're your personal media squad. So we're here to help you produce content, come up with ideas, brainstorm, uh, and do some of the posting for you depending on, on what it is. And you know, it's so interesting because most good ideas don't come from you sitting down and saying, what, what's my business idea gonna be? It, it really came naturally to us. It was kind of out of necessity. You, when you hear enough people say, yeah, I would do that, but, 
and everyone kind of had the same excuse. Um, sometimes that's where the gold is. That's where the unique idea is. So we've been in business now for two months. We got ourselves where I think we're at eight clients now um, who are on a subscription type base. Thank you. Uh, they're, and by subscription, I mean that means they're doing it every single month. So we talk about the number of, of content pieces that they're going to put out. It's usually anywhere between well, it's, it's one, two, or four in terms of a macro piece of content, so a show like this. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take this episode. I'm actually going to have my team pull this down from Facebook. They're going to take this exact episode. They're going to cut out my square, and they're going to break it up into micro pieces of content. So here's the beauty. This took one hour of my time to do this with you today, which I thoroughly enjoyed, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beauty is the team now, while I get to go off and do something else, either do another type of recording more likely I'm going to be working on my business, calling my clients, doing all the follow-up. And the team is slicing and dicing this multiple ways. And then, you know, within a day, I'm going to have 10 pieces of content from this podcast recording to put on my social media. So it doesn't require any extra work from me. The, the machine's doing the thing while I'm still working on my business. And that's what we've found to be the, the best use of agents time we are expanding into other uh facets like mortgage brokers and we have someone uh he's just a salesperson but not for real estate so i you know i think that the sky's the limit really for this type of content as we've learned that more and more people are really looking to produce content more and more people understand the importance of a personal brand and and branding yourself and so i think uh i think this company is going to be around for a while at least i hope so I agree with you. It's 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 a great concept, right? Like, and, and there is a need, like like going to what you were saying earlier about getting, you know, bumping into people who see my stuff, and and that, that absolutely happens. Now, I've even been called brave, and I don't know why going on camera is brave, but I've been called that. So it is. It is. <laughs> that's the thing. What do you? What would you say to someone who says, "I want to do video, but I'm very scared, and I don't know what to do." Yeah, I would say you are like 99.9% of the population. Few, very few people are comfortable with the camera. Um, You know, maybe in time, this next generation, because they're born with this in their hand and they're used to taking selfies and images, they might become more comfortable with it. But I'm born in 84 and anyone in and around my age group, particularly anyone older for me, we just weren't born with these things. Um, We're not used to putting on a camera and talking um, unless that the only people who were used to that were people actually in media, like people who did the news or people who had shows or were hosting something where now everyone kind of is a host and everyone kind of has to view their business. Like you're a media company. Um, And so everyone's in the same boat. I really want to stress that everyone is scared. I'm scared every day. I'm like, Oh man, I have a video shoot. I knew this was today, John. And honestly, today I was a little more nervous this morning coming into work. I was a little more nervous about, you know, I wanted to curl my hair and I wanted to wear something nice. We're normally, you know, it's like throw it up in a bun and, and who cares? Just get to the office and do your work. And so I understand, um, the fear it can come from. I don't like my voice. It can come from, I don't like how I look. It can come from, I'll do it when I lose 20 pounds. It can come from, um, I don't have anything important to say. I hear a lot of people say this and I understand. I go through all that as well. I would say start small. You know, I've helped 
produced, I think Jazz's podcast is at like 160 episodes now. I help produce those. I myself try to post on Instagram every single day. And there are still some days where I'm just not feeling it. I can't look at another picture or video of myself. Start small. Start with a blog. Maybe you're a really great writer or maybe you love drawing or painting. Start just posting some of the stuff you're doing on the side. Don't think too hard about it. Showcase some of your hobbies, and then what you'll find is you'll kind of grow into it. You can't compare your first podcast show or your first live show on Facebook to John's 56th, I think you said. This is episode 58. 58. So you can't compare yourself to John's 58th episode, right? You're, it's a learning curve. Everyone starts somewhere, and everyone doesn't start that great. So do what feels natural for yourself. Don't um, don't say, I'm going to do this every single week. Like if you're thinking about hosting a show, I'm going to do it every single week. I find people, it's, it's like me in real estate. You know, everyone gets into it with a lot of energy and enthusiasm and they're going to work like crazy. And then all of a sudden, boom, it gets really overwhelming or your work takes over and you can't keep up. Start with once a month. Start small and grow into it. Because that's what's going to keep you consistent. And consistency is the most important thing. And I, I really urge people to remember, no one really cares about you. And I know that that sounds painful to hear. But when you post something on Instagram, let's say, and people are scrolling through and they see your stupid video and they maybe they say something to themselves about it. Like, that's a, that's a stupid video. Or she looked terrible there. Or he, he looked terrible. He didn't have anything good to say. Yeah, I'm sure that would hurt if you knew what they thought. Most people aren't going to comment. In all honesty, most people do not comment bad things unless you get to a certain level of status where they think, you know, you're invincible and then they'll post it. But most like the average person doesn't get negative comments. Um, so don't worry too much about that. And then also know that they're going to scroll past it. Like the average person doesn't spend much time on anything. They're doing this on their phone all like in the evening. They're going like this. They... By the time they've had the thought, they've already forgotten about you. So it's important to just start somewhere, get content out, get the feedback. Like, who are you to say whether something's good or bad? It's important to get the feedback from other people. Ask people, did you like this? Is it good? Is it bad? Should I keep it up? Should I keep going? What would you like to see more of? Um, particularly for anyone in real estate, I urge you to showcase some of your um, personal side of things. I think a lot of people go down the just listed, just sold, because that's easy. That's what they're comfortable with. Them in front of a sign saying, I just sold this property, or here are the market stats, and it's not their face. And although that's great, you are educating people. It's certainly better than nothing. People are not always in the business of buying and selling real estate. And if that's all you're posting, they're never going to care about you. You need to you need to establish a community. You need to establish friendships, relationships with these people. And the only way to do that is to sometimes take off the suit, unbutton the shirt, and showcase your true self, something of your true self. It doesn't have to be your daily diary. You don't have to divulge everything about yourself. But maybe you're super into, maybe you have like six dogs. I, would, I, I love dogs. I would love to see people posting stuff about their dogs. And then tomorrow they're like, posting something about real estate, right? And that's going to hook people for a lot longer. And then what you'll see is over time, they'll say, I get this a lot. Laura, I love all your fashion posts. I've been following you for, you know, a year and a half. They're so great. And I'm like, again, never did I see a like, never did I see a comment. They're kind of like ghost followers, ghost watchers. So they're watching you in the background. And then they would say something like this. Oh, and by the way, my mother's looking to sell her property. Right. But it was because I was in front of them constantly that they remembered to think about me when the actual time came 
to sell someone their home or their parents home or something like that and so the consistency is very very important so work your way up into trying to do it once a day on every platform if you can or as many platforms as you can absolutely i think that answer is like a mic drop moment right like probably one of the best answers i've gotten <laughs> and i absolutely love it and i, I just want to make one last comment because i got to respect your time as well and uh, which I find is going to the just listed, just sold and all that. I think it's been so overdone that even people interested in real estate don't want to see it anymore. I do not want to see it. I don't care about your just listed. I don't care about your just solds. Kudos to you. I'm glad you're doing business, but give me something that's more valuable than that. Consider educating your clients and then entertaining your clients. I agree with you, Laura. This has been an absolute pleasure. I thank you so much. I am super grateful that you had done this today. Don, thank you for having me. Really, this this hour went by so fast. So you're an incredible host. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. Uh, you know, you're you're sticking with it now since November. So I say try to get that full year under your belt. And uh, I know the sky's the limit for you. So congratulations to you as well. Thank you so much.